0: Today's scriptures are from Luke chapter six, seventeen through 26. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits, were cured. All in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out of him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you, on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. The word of the Lord.
1: Has anybody told you today that you're the beloved of God? Hmm. You are. We are. One of the first people that taught me that was Henry Nouwen, one of the great Christians and writers in the 20th century. He said, we are not what we do. We are not what we have. We are not what other people say about us. At our core, we are the beloved sons and daughters of God. That's our true identity. And it perhaps takes us a lifetime to live into that identity and to claim that identity. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. Um, About 27, 28, 29 years ago, I was... uh, I was on staff at the Morristown United Methodist Church and my mentor in ministry, Jim White, was preaching a series on Gordon Cosby and the Church of the Savior down in Washington, D.C. This church is still there. It is an, an umbrella church of many different house churches and to be a member, a full member of that church, they are absolutely committed, all in. They're tithing, they spend I don't know, 20, 30 hours a week in some kind of ministry. They share their goods in common with one another. And they they live out the ministry on the streets of of D.C. with uh, various ministries that I can't even go into. So in 1991, uh, I took a few days off, and I went down to the Church of the Savior because I wanted to learn from them about what they're doing in ministry. I wanted to learn from Gordon Cosby, so I booked a room, I, I was on the phone, I booked the room with their guest house, uh, gave them my credit card number, was all set, and I said, is Gordon Cosby preaching this Sunday? And they said, well, no, he's not. And I thought, oh, no. And the answer, the, phone, the person on the phone said, but Henry Nowen is. I said, okay, I'm in. So this was like meeting one of my mythic Heroes in the spiritual life. So, as a few of us were going into the church, someone said, Now remember, we're going in there to worship God. We're not going in there to worship Henry. <laughs> Henry preached a sermon that, that will connect, Liesl, with this passage that you read. He preached a sermon on Luke 6. And he said, Watch the rhythm of Jesus. See how he goes up into the mountain to seek communion with God. Then he comes down the mountain, he chooses the 12, he chooses his community, and from there he goes out into ministry. Henry said, don't we do that just the other way around? We find ourselves in ministry and we think, oh, we need help. We're overwhelmed. And we form community. And then we realize that community is really leaving us flat. What we ultimately need is communion with God. Jesus showed us the rhythm. Communion with God, then community, then ministry. Afterwards, I I went up and had some conversation with Henry, and um, I said, I'm seeking communion with God. I've got that. I don't know where God's calling me. I don't know to which community God is calling me. And he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Jeff, pray really, really hard. And don't be afraid to ask God to make it clear to you. I did, and God did. What I'm really grateful for in setting up this scripture, the way Henry did, was after Jesus sought communion with God, chose the 12, he then goes into the ministry of healing, teaching, preaching, spreading good news about God's love for all people. And this is the first expression of his preaching ministry after he seeks communion with God, chooses the 12, In the Gospel of Luke, it's called the Sermon on the Plain. In the Gospel of Matthew, it's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And the message is a little bit different in the Gospel of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, and the Gospel of Luke, the Sermon on the Plain. Now, the Sermon on the Plain is a very significant metaphor that points to a deeper truth. It may hearken back to Isaiah in the Hebrew scriptures who said, every mountain will be made low and every valley will be lifted up. Do you see the leveling of the geography? It may be referring back to Luke's articulation of Mary singing the Magnificat where the mighty will be brought low and the lowly will be lifted up. But it seems to be important to Jesus that people are on a level playing field. It seems to be important to Jesus that when people are on a level playing field, they might hear something of wisdom for the journey that they travel. In this particular passage, I want to read just briefly from the message translation. This is the message that Jesus says to the people, a throng of people, not just the disciples, but so many people, they were crowding in on him. Energy was going out of him and they came from the far regions of Tyre and Sidon. And this is... Also a message to the early church that God's love is not just for us. God's love is for all people. Jesus said, you're blessed when you've lost it all. God's kingdom is there for the finding. You're blessed when you're ravenously hungry. Then you'll be ready for the messianic meal. You're blessed when tears flow freely. Joy comes in the morning. I just want to focus on that very briefly. The Greek translation of that word blessed, you're blessed is makarios. And it's a way of saying You're on the right track if. You'll be content if you're experiencing this. You'll experience moments of peace if you're experiencing this. You're on the right track if you're grieving. You'll ultimately experience a contentment and a contentedness if you're grieving you're on the right track. You will experience peace. You're blessed when the tears flow freely for joy will come in the morning. It is not fun to grieve. It is painful. It is difficult. It is often not accepted by our own family and friends and it sometimes feels very lonely to be grieving. But it is of vital importance to grieve if we want to be in the flow of love, if we want our relationships to be blessed if we want to be a whole and healthy human being, it is crucial to learn how to grieve and to grieve well for our own sense of well-being, our own health and our own relationships. You've heard me say this before, Untransformed pain will 100% be transmitted. If we don't allow our pain to be transformed, we will transmit it to others. Not that we mean to do that, it's just that's how it works. That's how we work as human beings. Someone else said, hurt people hurt people you see the same thing? People who are hurt end up hurting others. And I don't sense that any one of us want to be in that space of hurting people because we haven't dealt with our own hurt. One wise person shared with her granddaughter, uncried tears calcify the heart. Powerful image, isn't it? When we don't cry, the salt from uncried tears makes our heart calcified. Christians, we have at our in, in our toolbox, in our pool of resources, ways that we can allow God to transform our pain so that we don't transmit it. Heal our hurt, so that we don't hurt others. Even to cry tears, so that our hearts will not be calcified. And certainly, prayer is one of those ways to offer prayers of lament. The scriptures are filled with lament. And to say to God, here is my hurt, here is my pain, here is my sadness. It also helps to share that with another human being, maybe a therapist, maybe a counselor, maybe a pastor, maybe a loved one, maybe a friend, to say, I just want to describe the landscape of sadness that I'm going through. There is healing there, there is help there, and there is potential for transformation right there. I know that we're all dealing with grief at some level. Each of us. Some very obvious grief. We've lost a a parent, a child, a loved one. The world gives us some sense of permission to grieve those very public losses. Losses. And they are losses that shake us to our core and shake our faith and make us ask really deep, basic questions about life and about love and about who we are and who God is. It's good to ask those questions. There are other griefs that are less obvious but painful nonetheless. I've heard some express a pain and grief and sense of loss in changes that have happened in their own neighborhood or their community or their country. I've heard people locally describe a a pain of watching the town that they once knew Be bought houses, homes bought and torn down and a new house built in its place. And I've heard people who have lived in these communities for decades feel a sense of sadness and loss and grief that the neighborhood that they once knew and loved and invested in is changing so fast they don't recognize it. I've heard people describe changes in church with a sense of sadness and loss and, oh, it's just not the way it used to be. And there is a grief there and there is a sadness there. And we have a choice. Do we grieve that well? Do we become better through it? Or do we just become bitter through it? Some are grieving the loss of what their bodies and brains used to be able to do. And they can't do that anymore. Or a loved one whose brain is failing or whose body is failing and we all grieve that. There is some wisdom in allowing that grief just to be. To not run from it. To not wipe it away, but to allow it to do its work. I was at a funeral last year, and one of the women who was eulogizing her mom said, Grief is the last expression of love that we are here to share. And I thought, oh, that is such deep wisdom right there. Instead of seeing grief as something we must endure, she saw it as grief as an expression of love. An expression of love that we can express throughout the rest of our lives It doesn't take the wind out of us as it does when it's fresh, but it's a loss that is always there that we can begin to see as an expression of love. A friend of mine who lost an adult son to cancer and grieved that and is still grieving that, assures everyone he sees who's going through loss, he says, sometime there will be a transition from thinking about our loved one and beginning to cry, which is good and healthy, but not easy. There will be a transition at some point to when we think about our loved one and we smile, and we remember with gratitude. That is a movement, Christians and people of spirit, that God is always doing in our lives. Moving us from tears which are important and necessary to a day when one day we think of that loss and that person and that relationship with joy. With gratitude still with sadness but with gratitude I close with this a word of encouragement to all of us whatever we're grieving and we're all grieving something we're all missing someone we're all wishing it could be better Here's some wisdom from Henry now, and it's called Love Deeply. I made copies of this and put it on, on the shelf at the end of this hall if you'd like to take a copy. He writes, do not hesitate to love and to love deeply. You might be afraid of the pain that deep love can cause. When those you love deeply reject you, leave you, or die, your heart will be broken. But that should not hold you back from loving deeply. The pain that comes from deep love makes your love ever more fruitful. It is like a plow that breaks the ground to allow the seed to take root and grow into a strong plant. Every time you experience the pain of rejection, absence or death, you are faced with a choice. You can become bitter and decide not to love again or you can stand straight in your pain and let the soil on which you stand become richer and more able to give life to new seeds. The more you have loved and have allowed yourself to suffer because of your love, the more you will be able to let your heart grow wider and deeper. When your love is truly giving and receiving, those whom you love will not leave your heart even when they depart from you. They will become part of yourself and thus gradually build a community within you. Those you have loved deeply become a part of you. The longer you live, There will always be more people to be loved by you and to become part of your inner community. The wider your inner community becomes, the more easily you will recognize your own brothers and sisters in the strangers around you. Those who are alive within you will recognize those who are alive around you. The wider the community of your heart, the wider community around you. Thus the pain of rejection, absence and death can become fruitful. Yes, as you love deeply, the ground of your heart will be broken more and more, but you will rejoice in the abundance of the fruit it will bear. Friends, if you are not grieving right now, that's fine. But others around you are grieving. If you are grieving right now, be encouraged that you are not alone And trust that somehow God is doing something deep that can bring us ultimately to a place of joy, a place where there can be. Brightness to our sadness. Let us pray. Gracious God, we lift ourselves to you right where we are. With all of the unresolved stuff of our lives. We lift to you our pain, our hurts, our grief, our losses. Come, Lord Jesus, and touch us with your healing power. Help us to grieve and to grieve well so that one day, or even in moments, we will be able to trust that you are doing something good deep within us and deep within those we love. We pray in Christ and the people of God said, Amen.